<coughs> yeah. <coughs> well, <coughs> well, we're uh, we're switching the order. We're switching the order up a little bit tonight, and uh, so. So if you're enjoying your time of music and worship, <clears throat> just so you know, we're not done. And so at the end, we're going to come back and, uh, and, have, a, uh, and have an opportunity uh, to close out in three or four songs, just worshiping and praising God. So, how y'all doing tonight? It's good to hear, good to hear. I, uh, <clears throat> I wanted to start out tonight, and I realized that you know, we, we uh, people just trickle in all the way up until uh, for the first 30 minutes, so they'll just have to miss the first part of tonight. Uh, but one thing that uh, we, we have someone who has served our ministry well, and I want to bring them up here on the stage. So where's Heather Mangum at? Is she in here? And... Uh, and Heather, Heather is... Uh, Heather is awesome, and if you're new with us and you've just started coming to the point here recently, you may not know uh, who Heather is, but Heather was our worship leader of the high school ministry uh, pretty much for the whole entire time that I've been here, minus the last like couple weeks, and, uh, and then beyond that for a pretty good while. And, um, and this is what I know about Heather. Heather is a selfless leader. She's someone who every single week would put together the, the music and, and the, the, all the stuff that goes in with that, which is a lot. She would organize the bands. She would come and give up every Thursday night to do this. And, um, and here's the deal. She did not get paid a dime for it, all out of the kindness of her heart, feeling called to the ministry and doing that. And I just want to tell you, there are very few people left on this planet that have the heart that Heather has. And so I think we just need to give Heather a hand and thank her for... Yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Woo! Ow! Huh? Yeah. Woo! You deserve it. She deserves that and more. Where are you going? She deserves that and more. And, and here's the deal. Um, she's not pregnant, so don't ask her. Um, I'm just kidding. She is. And uh, uh, I, uh, uh, we, we as a student ministry uh, got you a little something, um, you know, just for, uh, for you and, and, uh, and the baby and the husband and all that kind of stuff. So uh, thank you so much. This is, not, this is nothing compared to what you've given and poured into this ministry. We want you to know we appreciate you. We love you. You are always welcome here anytime. And, uh, and you mean a lot to a lot of people in this room, including myself. And so you're awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> well, tonight we're going to begin uh, with a little Q&A time. And, uh, and I see that some of you guys, um, uh, I see some of you guys have already figured this thing out. That basically, uh, you will go up and with this right here, you can text in questions. Tonight is a different night than we normally do. 
Uh, and the reason it's different is because uh, we're just going to take questions from the audience tonight. Now, next week we go into a series called When Helping Hurts, and I'm telling you right now, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be unbelievable. And we're closing out our series called Curious this week, uh, going through these questions. And there are several things, several ground rules I want to lay. And the first ground rule I want to lay is, is that this isn't going to be a dialogue thing where like, I'm talking and you're talking to each other and all this kind of stuff. So I want to ask for now during this time that we all focus and pay attention because there's going to be some legit questions and legit things that we talk about tonight. Also, I wrote down a few ground rules for our conversation for tonight, and I want to share those with you because I think that this is, this is important. And uh, the first ground rule is this, that this is a Q&A, not a debate. This is a question and answer, not a debate. And so there's not like someone else up here and we're debating back and forth and there's rebuttals and all this kind of stuff and blah, 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 blah. This is a Q&A, not a debate. And the idea is, is that you would ask questions about God, you would ask questions about the Bible, you would ask questions about things that you're curious about, those kind of things, and we would answer those from a biblical perspective, all right? So that's one. The second thing is this. There, are, there may be some big questions asked that demand a lot of time to be answered, and we don't have a lot of time, and the idea would be for us to get through as many questions as we can. So we, we can't afford to spend 30, 40 minutes on a question, which some questions may take an hour, two hours, or three or four sessions, and some may even take an entire series for us to answer. So I'll be giving kind of short, uh, short answers for uh, all the questions and stuff that are going to be asked. I will try to make them as thorough as possible because that's the type of person I am. I'm very thorough, and I think through things thoroughly, and I try to communicate things thoroughly. So I will be as thorough as possible in a short amount of time. But just know that uh, if you come in here with some major question that's a major barrier for you, I don't want you to think that in a 30-minute in a time frame with me spending two minutes on your question that it's going to solve all the answers and questions for your life. The third thing I want to say is this, is that I am not omniscient. I don't know everything. I'm not omniscient. I don't know everything. God is omniscient. God knows everything. And so there may be questions that are asked that I don't know the answer to, but just because I don't know the answer to them doesn't mean that someone else does not know the answer to them. And just because I may not be able to answer that question does not mean that there's not an answer to that question. And this is what I know. There are many people that walk through life believing lies and believing untruths because they've bought into something that someone has told them and they've never had someone else give them the other side of the argument. And so I want to challenge you to seek truth, to search it out yourself. It's something that I seek. It's something that I chase after. It's something that I study. And I've spent a lot of time studying a lot of things that I'm sure you guys are going to be asking tonight. And so I'm not going to tell you something. If I don't know the answer, I'll tell you I don't know the answer. If I do know the answer, know that I've spent time studying it, working it out even within myself. For some of those, I'll tell you this is what it is and this is what the Bible, this is truth. And there may be other things where I say, uh, <clears throat> you know what, I'm still wrestling through this myself. And it's okay to wrestle through questions. My, my, my desire is for you to keep asking questions, to keep searching for truth, and keep seeking and seeing what God would have to say to you. So, with that being said, let me open to some prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, I just want to pray for tonight. I pray over these students that are in this room. I pray over me. I pray, God, that you would give us wisdom tonight, that you would give us ears to hear what you would have to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here we go. I am, uh, I'm going to work. Uh, I'm just going to like kind of start scrolling down uh, through these things. This is what I would ask. I would ask that that you try not to send like 50 questions because it just, it'll fill up the entire box and I'll just be not answering everybody's questions. So just try to send like, uh, um, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. All right. <clears throat> so here's the first question we got. 
daggone, we're already on like pages of questions. I like it. All right. I'm trying to get to the first questions. I'm, I apologize. All right, what is the square root of four? That's my question. This two. I looked it up. How pumped are you for dig tomorrow night? I'm pumped! <laughs> yeah. Dig is going to be sick. Leaving tomorrow, coming back Monday. Oh, man. Woo, sick nasty with it. All right, <clears throat> here we go. Big question, <clears throat> short answer. We are actually going to spend some time talking about this in the next series. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time here. But in the next series for three weeks, we're going to spend a lot of time uh, talking about this particular issue. If God loves everyone, why does he send people to hell who were never exposed to Christianity? If God loves everyone, great question, right? I mean, that is a big question. If God is so loving and he loves everyone, why in the world would he send people to hell that are never exposed to Christianity? <clears throat> Here's the question that I pose in return. Why would God send any man to heaven? See, the reality is, is for most of us, we all think that we deserve heaven because we couldn't stand the fact to really think that we deserve hell. And the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is you, that is me, that is all of us. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who seeks God. There is no one who understands. Their mouths are open graves. Ruin and misery mark their way and, and the way of peace they do not know. This is what the Bible tells us is the condition of every single man that walks on this planet. And the reality is, is that every person in this room has lied. Every person in this room has stolen. Every person in this room has hated someone. Every person in this room has lusted someone. Every person in this room has sinned, not only what you've done, but you are sin based on where you stand before God, and God is a holy, loving, perfect God, and sin cannot be in his presence. And so what we do is we say these statements like, how can this loving God send all of these good people to hell? God has never sent one good person to hell, and here's the deal, there's no such thing as a good person. No such thing as a good person. So the question is a fallacy from the beginning. The miracle is that God would even allow one person to go to heaven. The miracle is, is that even though man in creation rejected him, ran from him, rebelled against him, that he would choose to send his son to die on the cross for our sins so that we can now be placed into right relationship with him. That is the miracle. That is God's love. God's love is that he allows people to go to heaven. God's love is that he even allows one person to go to heaven because no one deserves it. Not you, not me, not any of us. That is what the word grace means. We sing the song, if you've ever heard it, Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch. Like, you know what I'm saying? Come on. Come on with it. But what does the word grace mean? The word grace, and this is important, understand this. The word grace means receiving, receiving something that you do not deserve. You don't deserve it. You know what mercy means? Mercy means not receiving what you do deserve. So the reality is, is that we all deserve hell, and God's mercy is, is that we don't receive what we do deserve. 
And so when people say things like, well, how can a good God send people to hell? How can a good and loving God not send people to hell? If God is truly just, if God is truly loving, then how can God allow murderers and sinners and people who are wicked to go to heaven? That is the, the mind-blowing thing that he would ever allow that to happen. And here's the reality. He made a way for that to happen through his son, Jesus Christ. And so God is infinitely loving and infinitely gracious and infinitely merciful. And so that would be one of the answers, I would say, to that question, which we will address a little more further later on. But if, a, if God loves everyone, why does he send people to hell? The other thing, and I just want to say this on it because I think this is important, if that rattles your brain a little bit, let me, let me say this. God never sends anyone to hell that doesn't choose it themselves. If you choose to reject God, then you choose your eternal destination. Move on. What is the main way that God communicates with us? I think God communicates us in the main, in the main way God communicates us is through his word. It's through the word of God. This is the main way God communicates to us. This is God's word for us. And so that's why when we say, when we say man, why should I be in God's word? Why should I read the Bible? Things like that. This is the way God communicates to us. Also through prayer. Prayer is our communication system with God. We talk and sometimes we listen and God speaks to our spirit and speaks to our heart. And now, and some people are like, well, you're one of those crazy people that thinks God just comes while you're praying and says, Derek, go and do this. Well, no, not really, but this is what I will say. When you have a relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, then I believe that God sometimes prompts you to things. And that's why we pray for things. And there are things that I pray through in my life. And, and if I don't have a peace about that situation, I'm praying for God to give me a peace about that. And I don't have that peace. And I keep praying. I keep fasting. God, give me a peace about this. And I keep having unpeace. Then the reality is God hasn't settled that in my life. And what I would say is God is telling me no. And in the same way, if God is asking for peace and I'm praying for that and I start to feel that peace, then sometimes I use that as you know, a God prompt to say maybe this is what God wants me to do or the direction that God may be leading me in. And so a way that we communicate uh, with God and the way he communicates us, definitely through his word. What should I do if I have trouble resisting the physical attraction to a girl? Run. Well, what, the first thing I would say is, and I don't know if a girl wrote this or a guy wrote this, uh, but the first thing I would say is this, is that if you're having trouble resisting the physical attraction to a girl, well, then you are acting in such a way that God designed you, because here's the deal. God designed us as relational people. God designed us, I'm telling you, I am, the first time I saw my wife, Megan, I was like, dang, that girl's fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I was like, woo! I remember they're talking to her, and I'm like, oh, am, I, am I staring at her too much? Am I looking at her too much? Like, you know, she, she I mean, she just captivated me by her beauty. And so, to be attracted, oh. To be attracted, to be attracted to someone, to be attracted to someone physically is is not a bad thing. But there are lines there, right? Like, like you shouldn't only be attracted to her physically. I wasn't only attracted to my wife physically. My wife is one of the godliest people I've ever met in my life. I was attracted to her heart. Not just her heart for God, but also her heart for other people, her heart for ministry. I was attracted to so many things about uh, my wife. So I would say that if physical attraction is the only thing you have, then you're going to have a very shallow relationship. And the other thing I would say is, is that if you're physically attracted to a girl and you can't handle being in a relationship with that girl, you can't handle it, 
If you can't handle being in a relationship with that girl without taking that relationship too far physically because you're physically attracted to them, then you're not mature enough to date. And what I would also say is that if you do think a girl is attractive, then you better be a man and ask her out because it ain't her job to ask you out. It is your job as a leader to ask her out. And if you want to know what Bible reference that is, it's First Idol 1-1. Where did you get that lame-o haircut? The thing about texting is people can be bold, but you won't say it in my face, yo. Because I got Big Bertha and Mighty Mo who will show you how lame-o your haircut is. By the way, I got your phone number too on here. I'll give you a call. All right. Uh, here's a question. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the question. I'm going to give a short blip, and then I'm going to give you a, a, something to go for this because some of you may not have been here two weeks ago where we addressed this issue in a, in a full service, which, by the way, was unbelievable. And if you were not here two weeks ago and you don't go listen to this, you're doing an injustice to yourself. But it's this. Do you classify homosexual or sexual sin as worse than other sins like murder, lying, or cheating? Do you classify it? Well, one, I would say that you need to go to a couple weeks ago to kind of see how we help, dealt with that issue of homosexual sin uh, and that kind of stuff. If, that, if your question is targeting that, if your question is targeting sexual sin in general as being worse than murder, lying, or cheating, or whatever, what I would say is, is that uh, you got to be careful when you start defining what this is worse, or that's worse, or it's not worse, or whatever. This is what I would say. The first thing I would say is, is that, uh, the first thing I would say is this, is sexual sin is set in a league of its own. It's set in a league of its own, in a sense of, in, second, in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, he says, flee sexual immorality. All other sins are committed outside of the body. When you sin sexually, you sin against your own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of God? All other sins are committed outside of your body. When you sin sexually, you sin against your own body. So it is a sin in, in a league of its own in a sense of that it is, it is different than those. Now, this is the important thing to understand because people say all sins are created equal. All sins are the same. Let me define that for you so you understand that. All sins are the same and that all sin separates you from God. All sin. From the smallest lying to murder to all that kind of stuff to sexual sin. Every sin separates you from God. All of that puts you over here. And so someone, and it gives us the opportunity when we start weighing sin, and that's what they would do back in the day. That's the context of when Jesus said that, you know, when he's talking about our sins, all sin separates us from God. And so all sins are kind of the same. And so they're equal in a sense that, that they carry equal value and that they all bring consequence before God. And so is all sin equal? Yes, all sin separates you from God no matter how little, no matter how big. And so what we do is we can look at each other and say, well, I'm a liar, so, and you're a thief, so I'm not as bad as you. And, and that's the second time I called you out. I figured out the reason. I figured out the reason last time when everybody's laughing. And I was like, why is everybody laughing at me? And then I got home and Megan told me, why is everybody laughing at you? Because I pointed at you. Yeah. <laughs> I get it now. And, uh, and then she, and then, and, you know, and then Leah can say, well, I'm not as bad as Jake. I mean, yeah, I stole something, and, you know, and he, he killed somebody. And, and, all, and so we make, ourselves, we make ourselves feel better. <laughs> we make ourselves feel better about ourselves because we look at the other people's sin around us, and we say, I'm not as bad as that person. And I would say, wrong. 
lying, murder, rape, name it, they're all the same in the eyes of God in that they all separate you from God. However, all sin is not the same in the consequence for how they are carried out in this earthly life. If I lie to my mom, she's going to slap me upside the head. If I murder somebody, I'm going to go to prison for the rest of my life. The consequence, the earthly consequences for sin are different. They are different. The consequences allow there to be a little bit of a difference in, in those sins or whatever here on the earth. And so the consequences are carried out here on the earth differently. But it doesn't matter if you lie or if you murder, you are, the Bible says, in danger of the fires of hell. In other words, those things all separate you from God, whether you murder somebody, whether you lie or whatever. All sins are the same in that sort of a way. And so let's make sure that we're clear here. I don't want anybody leaving here saying, oh, Derek said something crazy and heretical and said that, you know, all sins are not the same, but I believe sins are all the same and all this kind of stuff. Listen, all sin separates you from God no matter how small, no matter how big. When you put yourself in relationship to, with God by believing and putting your faith in Jesus and the finished work of what Christ did on the cross, that's the beauty of the cross, that Jesus took all of our sin, he died on the cross for our sins, atoning for our sin, which means substituting his life and his death for our life and the death that we should have died so that we can be put into right relationship with God so no longer do we have to be punished for the sins that we commit because it was already being carried out on Jesus at the cross. Jesus took the punishment of what we should have taken. So that's an important thing to understand. And if you're not a follower of Christ, whether you've lied, whether you've murdered, whether you've whatever, all those sins separate you from God. So the consequences are carried out differently here on earth, but in heaven, uh, any sin separates from God. All right. <clears throat> yes, one of my favorite questions. Is smoking marijuana bad? If so, how bad? And why is it because... It is the plant, therefore God made it. <laughs> and it can lead to anything. Uh, whoever the pot smokers are in the house, welcome. Thank you guys for coming tonight. <laughs> I actually, <clears throat> actually, uh, actually smoked pot for four years when I was in high school. These are some of the lame-o excuses that I used. And, uh, and, uh, and so I would always say, well, God made everything, and he said it was good, so that means we should do it, right? And, uh, and, uh, and so he said, he said it was good, but he didn't say that we should smoke it. And here's the reality. If we take that line of reasoning, then we would go smoke poison ivy, and poison ivy would kill us. And so uh, if you put smoke poison ivy, you die. That is the truth, the reality, whatever. Look it up if you don't believe me. Uh, and so the reality is, is that just because God created it, uh, he created intention for it, intent for it, that kind of stuff. Secondly, is, is marijuana bad and how bad? Well, let's just start here. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 13 that we are to obey the laws of the government and the things that God is, God is over that and all that kind of stuff. So here's the deal. It is illegal. Let's just start there. It's illegal. So if it is illegal, then that means that you can't do it. Secondly, you can go to any pot smoker website in the world that you want to to justify and validate your sin and say, yeah, but right here it says that, that, that you know, it doesn't really affect my life and all this kind of stuff. I can show you, and I got it on my computer. If you want me to send you the document, shoot me on Facebook. I'll send it to you. I will show you three pages, bullet point by bullet point, of all the medical things that happen when uh, smoking marijuana. In fact, men are four who smoke marijuana are four times more likely to have a heart attack than people that don't smoke marijuana. 
Let's keep on going. I mean, the marijuana smokers uh, uh, are uh, uh, have uh, are like. <laughs> Deep breaths. Marijuana smokers are three times more likely to get cancer. And we can keep going on down the line. There, there are research after research after research of the effects of marijuana on the body. So for people to say, oh, it's not that bad, it doesn't affect you, all this kind of stuff. And additionally, and additionally, marijuana, marijuana is also a window drug to other drugs. And you say, well, yeah, but I'm not really going to try to do all that kind of stuff. That's what I said too, and then I started doing other drugs. So um, that's not the reason that you don't do it. The reason you don't do it is because it's illegal and it dishonors God and it takes you out of the mindset of, of how things are normally and all that kind of stuff. Yes. I'll get him. Stand back. I got him. It's okay. I got him. Another reason why my wife loves me. All right. Okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I love this question. Oh, I lost it. Where'd it go? Okay, I'll just tell you what it said. Um, what does the Bible say about being faithful in relationships? <laughs> you cheater. Uh, <laughs> I wish you'd put hashtag in your name after that. Uh, but anyways, so I can say, don't date that guy. Um, this is what I would say. This is what I would say about, uh, this is what I would say about cheating. One, I would say that uh, the God, God takes, let me just start with this. God takes relationships seriously. I mean, God designed us for relationship. He has relationship with us. God takes relationships seriously. And so, even in our dating relationships, what we are doing, and, and, and this is not even just biblical, this is psychological, we are even preparing for marriage and setting ourselves up in practices when we date for marriage. And this is true. Research shows that people who date a lot of people and break up with those people for different reasons or whatever, and they go from one relationship to another, one relationship to another, one relationship to another, are way more likely to get a divorce than people who don't. Why? Because they practice over and over again breaking up with people. They're used to it. It's not a problem just to say to someone that you have a relationship with it just to let them go. This is not a concept during biblical times. So, so this is something that, that we you know, kind of talk about. I would say inside of the context of marriage, God takes it so seriously that Jesus gives it as the only reason for divorce. That's how serious God takes cheating inside of marriage. So I don't know. I don't really know if in your dating relationships, if uh, I would just say, one, it's not really ethical, it's not really moral, and you got to realize, and, and if a guy wrote this in, and I'm not saying a guy wrote this in, but guys, let me tell you something. The Bible tells us in Proverbs that you are to guard the heart of the people you're with. The Bible tells us, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. And that is not only your heart, but that is the heart of the person that you're with. 
And if you were dating girls and you were destroying their hearts, I don't think that God is thinking very kindly about that. You guys have a responsibility. And girls, you have a responsibility as well. If you're a girl who leads guys on and makes them think all this kind of stuff and they start pursuing you and then you like drop the hammer on them or you're cheating on them and all this kind of stuff, you're not really guarding his heart either. And so we've got to guard each other's hearts. And you personally aren't just responsible for the people's hearts around you. You're personally responsible for your own heart as well, guarding your own heart. And so be careful about how you get into relationships and how you let those things um, yeah. Okay, that's a great question. These questions are all over the place. Anna wants to know if anyone has any gum for her and Josh. No. Why is weed illegal? Well, I mean, we just kind of talked about it a little bit a minute ago. Probably because uh, it's so dangerous to your body and because... Uh, the government decides that it's bad enough to make it illegal, which if the government decides it's bad enough to make it illegal, is probably good reasoning behind it. Uh, I think it's really irrelevant. Oh, man. All right, what is tongues? What is tongues? So tongues, people talk about speaking in tongues, things like that. I, I'm guessing that's what the question is about. Uh, so people talk about speaking in tongues and things like that. Um, I don't want to get into a long, drawn-out, this is one of those things that could take a lot of time, but I'll say this. I will say that, um, that in uh, Acts chapter 2, Peter speaks in tongues, and basically what happens is the Bible says tongues of fire fell on him. He spoke, and there were people from all different languages, and they understood what he was saying. And so there's a lot of churches, a lot of denominations where people go around, and they say that in order for you to be a Christian or really have the Holy Spirit living in your life, that you, then, then you will speak in tongues. And what I will tell you is that is not biblical at all. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is salvation. It is not some extra work of the Holy Spirit within you, and you are not a better Christian if you speak in tongues or if you don't speak in tongues. Additionally, I would say in three chapters of the Bible, we see the spiritual gifts listed. We see it in Ephesians 4, Romans 12, and 1 Corinthians 12. In those spiritual gifts list, we see the speaking of tongues in there. We also see the gift of interpreting tongues. There is, in 1 Corinthians, a lengthy discussion on how they should and should not be used in, in, in the church. And how they should and should not be used in the church, uh, and you guys can go read that list and see all the stuff that it says in there, but it basically says that the speaking in tongues edifies yourself, prophecy or preaching edifies, edifies the body of Christ, the whole entire body. And so he says, I would rather you speak a few words legibly than a thousand words in a tongue where people don't understand. In most of the context is where I hear people speaking in tongues, they are speaking in a way where no one else can understand them around them and no one's interpreting what they're saying. Therefore, I would say that is improper and sinful and they shouldn't do that. And so there are guidelines and boundaries for the way tongues should be used in church and all this kind of stuff. Now, there's more, there's more arguments on, well, is, are, are those gifts for today? Did God just use those in the New Testament? Do people do them now? Can you do them now? All this kind of stuff. Let me tell you, that is a, I mean, maybe we can just do, uh, I'll do a whole night on that one time, and we'll really break into it and get into it. Uh, but there's a book called Our Miraculous Gifts for Today, and it's got the four viewpoints on that, and all the guys respond to it and all this kind of stuff. You guys, if you want a, some extra reading on that, and that's something that's of great concern, to you, you can go read that and be a part of that. But I would say caution yourself. Caution. Caution when you hear someone say that in order to be a believer or in order to be a strong Christian, you have to speak in tongues. Wrong, sinful. And if you ever see someone speaking in tongues in a church and there's no one interpreting what they're saying, wrong and sinful. It goes against what the Word of God says. So let me just land that plane right there and then we'll move on. 
let's see. Let's see here. Uh, there's a question about a friend being in a bad relationship with their dad. What I would say do is for that, just uh, three or four uh, weeks ago, I talked about in the parenting series about what it was like in uh, you know, bad relationships with parents or broken relationships with parents. Go back and listen to that. That'll really give you some insight on that uh, so I don't get too redundant for everyone. Um, okay. long. Uh, let me try to shorten it. Uh, do, do you need to repent if you don't know you have sinned? If not, what do you do? You know, what if you sinned years ago and all this kind of stuff? This is what I would say, and this is, this is really important. Understand this. Do you need to repent if you're not sure if you've sinned? Let me, let me just clear it up. We've all sinned. Do you have to call out to God every sin you've ever committed and confess those things to God or God will not forgive you? No. I think that gives insult to the finished work of the cross of Christ. And when Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he died, a call, he died on the cross for all your sins, your past, present, and future sins. So that when you are placed in relationship with Christ and you are living in full relationship with him, what happens is, is that, that, uh, that, you know, uh, that when we go to God, we confess our sins to God, but there may be times where we sin and we don't know that we've sinned. We may not realize that we've offended someone. We may not whatever. Is the blood of Jesus sufficient enough to cover that within us? Absolutely, 100%, and you need to know that. And if you feel guilty because, uh, and the goes on and says, I, I, I feel like I've repented for my sin, which the word repent, in case you not, don't know, means a change in direction. So literally, I'm heading this direction. I'm chasing after my own desires, my own wants. I'm running away from God, but I changed my direction, and I'm headed towards Christ. It means to do a 180, a change in direction, going in that direction now. It is a change in your life. And so when those sort of things happen, you kind of, you know, so you, I've, I've repented, I've changed the directions, I'm headed towards Christ, and, uh, but now, now I feel guilty about some of the people that I've heard, things like that. Should I feel guilty? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, um, Guilt is something that sometimes we have to deal with, you know? And I'm not saying should you or shouldn't you. I think you should work through it. I think you should work through the guilt. And I think the scripture kind of talks about that. Um, but also, uh, I think one big major part of working through guilt is going to the people that you've hurt and apologizing and telling them that you're different now and you want to restore that relationship with them. So that's kind of some of the... That's a good question. I have a friend who isn't a follower of Christ. He is confused, though he want, uh, but he wants to be. What are some things I should, should tell or help him with so he can... Oh, new one came in and shot him off. Well, uh, basically, what are some things I can tell him to help, help him understand a relationship with Christ? What I would say is one thing I would do is... Um, is uh, talk to him about, you know, uh, his faith and talk to him about Christ and talk to him about what we talk about here, invite him here. Uh, I would say uh, if you go back in our podcast, which I keep pointing back to the messages we've already did, we podcast all of our messages for this reason. This summer, I did a message on how to share your faith. 
And it's basically a step-by-step guide on how to share your faith with someone. And so you can go back and listen to that through our podcast on iTunes. You can go look it up and listen to that message. And I'll give you a step-by-step on something you can share to, with him with or talk with him about. Or say, hey, man, uh, would, you, would you come and meet with my youth pastor or one of our interns or something like that? And these guys can help walk him through that, that decision or her through that in that situation. So, uh, so that's good. And I think it gives you an opportunity to be, do some research on your own and study how you can share your faith with that person who's dealing with that particular thing. Shout out to Peyton Goslin. She's such a great person. Nice. When and how do I know that I have a relationship with God? When and how do I know if I have a relationship with God? This is what I would say. How do you know if you have a relationship with God? The Bible says you will be known by your fruits. And when you go and you read Galatians chapter 5, he gives a list of the fruit of the Spirit and he gives a list of the fruit of the flesh. And if you go there and you read that first list, the fruit of the sin nature, and you read that list and your life lines up more with that than it does with the fruit of the Spirit, then chances are you don't know Christ. And the fruit of the Spirit is our love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, you know, and he goes against it all and he goes through the whole list of uh, all the fruits of the Spirit. So if those are things that don't mark you, also, 1 John 2, 6 says, for those who claim to know him must walk as Jesus did. And so the idea is, and the word Christian literally means little Christ, and, the, and the, it wasn't Christians who came up with that name, but people who were not Christians used to call the people in the first century who were living their lives and dying for the cause of Christ, they called them Christians because they called them little Christ because they saw Jesus within them. And so if you call yourself a follower of Jesus and you call yourself a Christian, but nothing in your life reflects who Christ is and, and, and all that, then I would say chances are you're probably not a Christian. See, it's not because of good works or whatever, because we can say good works this, good works that, whatever, but yes. Galatians 5. Galatians 5. And we can say good works this, good works that, but I've already established the fact that all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us can work our way to God. It's not about, oh, if I give more money to the church. It's not about if I go serve in the CIA project. It's not about if I go to church every week. It's not about that kind of stuff. That stuff doesn't save you. That stuff helps you grow in your faith and helps you grow once you are saved. But that stuff doesn't add anything to your salvation. The only thing that saves you is what Christ has done through the cross. That's the reason Jesus even says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. All right. Let's see. Okay. I've noticed in my Bible some of the books, such as Jonah, say they do not know who or when the book was written. How is this possible, and how is the still eligible to be in the Bible, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff? Um, what I would say is, is that uh, some, of the, some of the books of the Bible, um, you know, uh, because they were um, not tagged as, you know, so-and-so, you know, I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, write to the church of Thessalonica, grace and peace and mercy, and he goes through this whole thing and all this kind of stuff. And so he, he identifies himself in there. What you got to remember is there's a lot of things that take place when you start talking about how is this eligible for the Bible and all this kind of stuff. Like, for example, we, there was already a Greek translation of the Hebrew New, Old Testament. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. There was already a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament 300 years before Jesus ever came and walked on the earth. And so the Old Testament, the scriptures of the Old Testament were well established thousands of years or hundreds of years before 
Christ ever even came to the earth. And so these, these particular books of the Bible, and, and were written all the way up to 400 years. So you think about it, the Old Testament closes with Malachi, which was written around 400 B.C., and, uh, and it closes with Malachi, and within, it was already being translated in other languages the entire, in, in its entirety uh, shortly after that. And so these were, these were things that were very, and if you were not here last week, please go listen to last week, but he talks about, uh, we talked a lot about how the carefulness of how they were passed down and things like that as well. And uh, so that's, some of that kind of stuff is, uh, is uh, you know, a part of that as well. Like we don't know who wrote the book Job. There's people speculate who wrote the book Job. And most scholars, or uh, I'm not going to say most, a lot of scholars, including myself, um, and uh, doesn't mean that I'm right and I'm not going to die for this, think that Job is the oldest book in the Bible and uh, was written first. And, uh, and so um, Moses, of course, writes the first five books of the Old Testament, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, and he writes about the creation account and all, the, all those things as you go through. So... If Jesus was a Jew, why is Judaism not a true religion? I think it is a religion. Is it a sin to cuss and listen to uh, inappropriate music? All right, well, let me, let me hit the first one. If Jesus was a Jew, why is Judaism not a true religion? Judaism, uh, uh, Jesus was a Jew. Why is you, okay, uh, Judaism is a true religion, but this is something you've got to realize. Christianity is not a re- based on a religion. Judaism is all about being religious and how good you can be and all this kind of stuff. And this is what Jesus tells us. Jesus tells us that you can't be good enough. If you could be good enough, if you could follow the Ten Commandments and all the things and be good enough, then Jesus would not have needed to die for you. But here's the reality. No one could follow the law. No one could follow the law of the Old Testament. No one could follow the Ten Commandments. And no one in this room has followed the Ten Commandments. And so now we're held accountable to God because of that. See, here's the deal. God did not give us the law so that it would save us. God gave us the law to show us that we need a Savior. Let me say that again. God did not give us the law so that we can follow it so that it would save us. God gave us the law so that we could see our need for a Savior. The Bible talks about the holiness of God, and then the Bible shows us that we are sinful because we can't follow the law, and that's why we need a Savior in Jesus. And so the Old Testament is a part of the story. In fact, the whole entire Bible speaks of a uniform story of God who is pursuing man through relationship and the salvation history of God. This book is a narrative of the salvation history of God. There's not a book in the Old Testament that does not point us to Jesus, not one. There are over 400 prophecies in the Old Testament that tell us about Jesus in the New Testament. And I don't want to get too much into that because I love talking about that stuff and we'll be here all night. Uh, The cussing things. Uh, He went on and said uh, something about cursing. What about cursing and the kind of music we listen to? Well, listen, uh, uh, let me just give you a few verses. You can write these down. For cursing, uh, these are things, I, I'll just be honest, when I became a Christian, the hardest thing I had to quit was cussing because I cussed my whole entire life. And, um, and uh, so, so this, is, this is just some scriptures. Ephesians 4.19. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which builds up others in advance of the kingdom. That, that is, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. In James chapter 3, James is telling us about uh, the power of your tongue. 
And he likens the tongue to a rudder on a ship, how there's a small rudder that steers a massive ship, or a horse's bridle, the small bit that fits in the horse's mouth, but it can turn a giant horse in different direction, or a small spark that can cause so much damage in a massive forest fire. And he talks about the power of the tongue. And when he finishes talking about how powerful the tongue is, he says this, and how can praise and cursing come from the same mouth? That's pretty powerful. How can praise and cursing come from the same mouth? How can you go and say, God, I praise you, I worship you, you are my king, you are my Lord, you are my everything, and then we, and then we curse after that. Now, we can get into all the semantics of, well, this word means this, or this word means that, and all this kind of stuff, and this is what we do, and I'll just be honest with you, the same with the weed smokers, the same with everybody else, this is what we do. We try to justify our sin because we want to live our life how we want to live our life. We don't want God or anybody else to have anything to do with what we're dealing with and what we're doing, and so we want to say, hey, God, I want you, but I don't want that to really interfere or affect anything about my life, and if that's how you approach life, let me just tell you plainly and clearly, you don't know Jesus. If you are using Scripture, if you are using Scripture as an excuse or to justify sin, watch out. Watch out. Be careful. At what point is drinking a sin? That's a great question. That is a fantabulous question. At what point is drinking a sin? Well, let me help you with that one. Let's pretend that this is an alcoholic beverage. I will show you what point drinking is a sin if you are under the age of 21. Right there. Sin. Romans 13. Again, back to the weed people. Probably the same drinking people. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry, weed people. I'm sorry I'm picking on you guys so hard. I smoke weed and people picked on me too. So, um, and... Uh, that's good water. But Romans 13 talks about Romans 13 talks about obeying laws of government. If you're under 21, you have no excuse to drink anyway. Drinking is a drinking is a is a big issue, and people talk about it. Well, should we? Shouldn't we? All this kind of stuff. Uh, I I, I want to hit this for a minute. Let me spend y'all y'all care if I spend a few extra minutes on this one? All right. Let me spend a few extra minutes on this one. The Christians and non-Christians alike may be shocked by what I'm about to say. Jesus drank. <gasps> and I can prove it. In Matthew, listen. In Matthew, Jesus is confronted. And Jesus responds to the Pharisees and Sadducees that are confronting him. And he says this. He says, John the Baptist came neither, neither eating nor drinking. And he's talking about alcohol neither eating nor drinking, and you said that he had a demon. I come eating and drinking, and you call me a drunkard and a glutton. If he was drinking Kool-Aid, why would they call him a drunkard? It's the truth. Now, this is what I know. Some of you are going to take that, and you're going to use that as an excuse to go drink because you're going to say, Jesus did it, so I'm going to go do it, and I would say sin. Sin. See, we try to look for excuses. So number one, I would say that it is sinful and wrong to disobey the government, and that's, that's number one. Number two, I would say that the Bible talks many times, multiple times, over and over and over and over and over again, that drunkenness is a sin. You say, what is drunkenness? Drunkenness is when you start buzzing. That's drunkenness. That is the beginning. 
when you cannot drive a car without being, you know, I mean, it's, you know, and you're going to go to jail or get a ticket or whatever, that, drunkenness. Drunkenness is a sin every time. Did Jesus ever get drunk? No, he didn't. And I'll tell you why he didn't, because the Bible says Jesus, Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin. So Jesus was never drunk. Jesus talks about drunkenness even being a sin. So drunkenness is a sin every time. This is what I know. Every person, listen, every person without exception that I know that tells me that they have an occasional beer on the side, I have seen drunk. Every one of them. Without exception. So, are there people who are over the age of 21 who can have a glass of wine with dinner, who can have a beer and not get drunk, and they can have, an, have and exhibit self-control? Is it okay for them to have a drink with their meal and do all that kind of stuff? I don't see any biblical grounds that that is not the case. But if you're going to the party and you're 21 years old, and your buddy's like, hey, man, let's get the beer pong game going. Chances are that's not going to head you down the right direction. So I would caution you. Proverbs is a great example, and Solomon uh, is writing to his son, and, you know, and it's inspired scripture, but Proverbs are kind of just why I say it. And, and he says this. He says, do not gaze upon wine when it is red in the glass, for it will go down smooth, but in the end it will bite like a viper. He says in Proverbs 20, verses 1, do not be, uh, get my verses right. Proverbs 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. He who is led astray by them is not wise. So there are plenty of passages in the Bible, plenty of passages in Scripture on drinking and how it should be handled and used. And if you were trying to use the Bible or other things as an excuse to drink, then my, I would say your heart's not in the right place. And I would say that, man, if you just like to taste a beer, just drink O'Doul's, which is non-alcoholic beer. And beer is not that much better than a Coke, I assure you. Are the rumors about Jesus smoking weed true? <laughs> yes. No. This is a great question. How can I be a soldier and protect the ones I love when killing is a sin? That is a great question. And this is what I'm going to say about that. I've heard, I heard an awesome sermon on this about a year and a half ago about um, you know, protecting our country as well as some of the different justices and all this kind of stuff. But this is what I would say to you. I have an opinion on this, and I, will t and I can tell you what that is, and I can tell you what I believe based on the Scripture and kind of what I look at and all this kind of stuff, but this is what I'm going to say. I, I will not do that question justice, so I'm not going to answer it. I don't want to tell you something or not tell you something, and there be something better for you to hear or need to know or whatever, and so that's one of those questions I'm going to, I'm going to defer on. And so if you ask that question... If you want to come and talk to me about that, I will help you find the answers you need for that question to really help you as you deal with that. I would say that you're fine being a soldier and protecting your country and all this kind of stuff. That I don't. Uh, that that's where I that's the, that's the position I take on that. But um, but I'm uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to go there. You say it's okay to drink after 21. What about other countries when it's illegal to drink earlier? You drunkards are just looking for excuses. <laughs> Alcoholics up in here. 
Oh, uh, yeah, I, okay, that's fine. Yeah, if you live in, you know, you live in Mexico when the drinking age is 18 and you want to have a beer when you go there for your senior trip or whatever, by all means, have a beer. But let me caution you. If you're on spring break your senior year of high school and you're 18 years old, are you just going to have a beer? Secondly, secondly, and this is the truth, that over 50% of people become alcoholics after their first drink, including myself, and it runs in my family. And if you have a history of that in your family, I would caution you. And thirdly, uh, studies show that 85% of people get their first drink at home, which oddly enough uh, means that it was in their parents' home. And so chances are that if, you're, if, you're, if that's in front of you all the time and you see the people that are, you respect in your life like your parents drinking all the time and things like that, chances are. So my wife and I uh, have made a decision as a couple that we will not have alcohol in our house when we have children. Is it a sin for me to drink a, yeah, I mean, it's, it's maybe it's not. But I, do, am I going to, do I want to play Russian roulette with my kids? I mean, I, I know I can handle it, and I know I can have self-control now, but do I know that they can't? No, I don't, so I want to protect them in that way. And so that's what I would say. Also, I would say that probably the first time you ever had a beer on spring break when you're senior year is probably not the first time you should do that either. And I'll give you a perfect example of that, just because we're back on. I apologize, man. We, I know you all have questions, but this is just... I have a friend, her name's Shelly. I went to college with her. We were really good friends in college. This is a short version of the story. She had never had a beer in her entire life. She was 21 years old. She goes to this, uh, she's working over the summer uh, after, I believe it was her second or third year of, uh, when I was at Liberty with her. Um, a couple friends at her work invited her to go, to, to, invited her to, go to a party uh, after work. She goes to the party after work. She had never had a beer in her entire life. A guy gives her a beer. She drinks, she drinks the beer. First time she ever had alcohol in her entire life. Drinks the beer. One of the guys had roofied her drink. Her 40, she wakes up. She was unconscious. She wakes up with her 45-year-old boss raping her in one of the back bedrooms. True story. Says just one beer, it's harmless. It wasn't for her. And so I would say, be responsible. What's a good way to pray and read the Bible every day? Listen, this is a great question. I'll tell you what's a good way to do it. Set aside a time to do it. And this is what we do. We, try, we, we say, man, I got this whole entire day. I was going to write, but I don't have time. We have this whole entire day, and we want to do all this kind of stuff. But, but here's the deal. We have this entire day, and then we say, well, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my Bible and pray before I go to bed at night. Yeah, right. That's going to happen. You're going to be tired, all that kind of stuff. You're going to sit there reading. Like, you know what I mean? You ever fell asleep praying before? I, do, I used to, when I was a kid all the time, man, I'd be like, and God, just pray for my family. And then, uh, and, uh, you know, and... And so what I would say is the best time to pray, the best time to, to read the Bible is when you're alert, when you're aware of that kind of stuff. This, this is the truth. I do not go to the gym in the morning. And this is why. One reason why I don't go to the gym in the morning. The reason I don't go to the gym in the morning is because my brain works the best in the morning. So I give God the morning. Most of the time. That's the way I do it. I try to spend time with God in the a.m. because that's when my brain... I write sermons in the morning. Anything that I do that takes strong mental capacity, I do in the morning. And if we were doing this Q&A session like eight hours ago, dude, it would be really good. (laughs) 
that's a good way to see. Sorry, I'm trying to get through these. Back to the rumors about Jesus smoking weed again. What kind of drum kit does the band use? No idea. Where's Waldo? <laughs> Found him. Derek, Derek, why are you so hip? You wear the coolest clothes and like the coolest guy ever. My wife buys my clothes. All right, well, uh, I am, uh, I'm not, (laughs) I like that one. I lost it. Hold on. I'm trying to find it again. All right. A friend of mine is on the verge of no longer believing in Christ, question mark, hick in the Justin camo hat. I guess that's who's asking the question. That's why we're. Who's the hick and the Justin? Yeah. Found him. All right, here we go. Um, friend of mine's own version of no, believe, no longer believing in Christ. Well, I'd say, uh, I, would, I would say, you know, here's the deal. When we talk about faith, we talk about believing in Christ, all this kind of stuff. Yes. What I would say is, is that what we need to do is that you need to ask them what their barriers are to faith. Why is it that you don't want to believe in God anymore? Why is it that you're dealing with these things? Why is it that you're saying these things? Why is it that you're doing You know what I mean? Like there's all that kind of stuff. So I think you need to ask those questions and, uh, and, and, figure, out, and figure out what the issues are. Because here's the reality. Most of the time, people have barriers to believing in God because they bought into something else that they believe, or they believe an untruth or a lie or whatever, and the reason they do is because they don't understand God, they don't understand the Christian position on that, and uh, they've never heard the other side to the arguments that they have. So I think that's one of the, one of the big things. Uh, the early books of the Bible talk about a lot of laws. How do these relate to our lives today? Man, that is a great question. The early books of the Bible, uh, in fact, I'll ask one more, que- we'll answer one more question after this, and we're going to spend some time just singing and worshiping. How about that? Um, yeah. The Old Testament talks about a lot of books and laws and all this kind of stuff. Uh, let me say this. This is important. I mentioned earlier that the laws, the laws show us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. So you say, how do we follow these today? This is what I would say. What I would say is, is that when we put our trust and faith in Jesus and we are now placed ourselves under Christ, when we put ourselves under Christ, what happens is, is that the Holy Spirit of God, God takes residence within us and he begin, and that begins to shape us and change our behavior and change those things in our life. So this is not the message of Christianity. Stop sinning. Come to Jesus. The message of Christianity is if you come to Jesus, he will make you a new creation in Christ and you will now have the strength to overcome sin. That's the message of Christianity. You will have the strength to, to, to walk away from that. 
You don't have the strength to do it apart from God giving you the strength to do it because you don't have the strength. That's important for you to understand. And so this is what I would say. What I would say is, is that the Old Testament has its place in that these laws show us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. But following those laws does not save us. And additionally, the, old, the, the laws of the Old Testament were written to who? The Jews. Are we Jews? No. Does that, mean that that's, does that mean that they're irrelevant? No, it doesn't mean they're irrelevant. Some of them come from the moral character of God, and Jesus brings them back up in the New Testament. But here's the reality. The reality is, is that it is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's not Jesus plus following some set of laws will get you into heaven. That's not what it is. And so uh, I'm, under the, I'm under the belief and conviction based on, the new, based on the scripture that we are under the new covenant, not the old covenant. The old covenant was law. The new covenant is grace. We are under grace now. Therefore, we are not held under the requirements of the law. We're not held under the requirements of the law. One, because we are not Jews and the laws were not given to us. And second of all, we're not held under the requirements of the law because no one can be saved by following the law. Does that mean that we then reject the law? Nope, Paul talks about this. No, we don't reject the law because the law tells us what sin is. He says, how would we know that coveting was a sin if the law didn't say, thou shalt not covet? And so the law shows us that we're sinners. The law does not help us become righteous. The law shows us that we're sinners so we realize our place before God and that we need a Savior in God so that when we place our trust and faith in God through Jesus, that he then gives us a new nature in him. And because of that new nature that is now placed in us, we now can see things the way God sees things. The blinders are taken off and we now can overcome things in our life and overcome sins and stuff like that in our life. So does that mean that it's okay for me to lie? No. The point is, is that when Christ comes and lives in your life, thou shalt not lie is not an issue. That is now written on your heart, and you know what the law of God is. You know that that, that is a sin because of that. And so we now don't live doing those things that the former life had in us, right? Does that mean that as a Christian you may not struggle? Does that mean as a Christian you may never sin again? No, that's not what that means. Um, but that's, that's where we would go. We would go with that, and I've got to be careful with that because that may be getting a little too deep, and uh, okay, this is the last one, and we'll end with this, huh, okay, I'll answer a couple more, I'll answer a couple easy ones, and we'll do one more, all right, hey bro, is it bad in God's eyes to have a tattoo, that's a good question, I got two, Nope, because I'm not taking my shirt off on the stage. <laughs> it's only for my wife to see. Uh, hey, bro, was it bad to have a, a in God's eyes? Okay, let's let's uh, let's marinate here for just one second. I'll give you the the quick answer because we don't have a lot of time. And if I have parents emailing me and all this kind of stuff, well, they can just get over it because it's not biblical. Um, there is no scripture in all of the Bible that talks about getting tattoos. Now, there is a passage in Leviticus that talks about marking and cutting your, your body. And a lot of people take that passage and they say, oh, you shouldn't have tattoos. 
But in all scripture, we need to take it in context. Leviticus was the Levitical law, which was written for the Levites, who were Israelites. And the Old Testament law, including Leviticus, was written to the Jews, to the Israelites. And the purpose of this was is that the foreign gods that people would worship, in order to worship those gods as a part of it, they would mark and cut their bodies as a part of their worship. We see this when Elijah was up on the mountain with the prophets of Baal, and they began cutting themselves and all this kind of stuff. This was a big part of idol worship, major part of idol worship. So then what happens is, is that God is telling his people, don't get involved in false idols by cutting yourselves and marking your body in worship to these idols. That is the context of that particular passage. So is it a sin to have tattoos? I don't think from scripture you can argue that it's a sin to have tattoos. Do you have a question about that? Okay, so, so what happens is, and we talked about this last week, you know, like NIV or different things you read through it. Yes, what that is is, is that it's someone in uh, English translating it from the Hebrew. But the Hebrew context and, and what it's talking about there is idolatry. And, and every, and I'm telling you, you can do, do research on it, check me on it. Every biblical scholar will, will even if they write tattoo in there, that is, what they will, that, that is how they will break that down and show you how, how, that, how that works. So, so it was all on idol worship, so I would say this. Additionally, I would say that you're to honor and obey your parents, and if your parents say you shouldn't have a tattoo, then you shouldn't have a tattoo. And I got all of my tattoos after I moved out of the house because my mom would cut my head off if I got one when I was in the house. I, I I'm sorry. Uh, not in the Bible, but that is, a good, that is a good thing. You shouldn't tattoo the names of some guy that you were dating because then if y'all break up, well, you got that guy there. Huh? Someone that died? That's not, that's not biblical. No. That's not Bible. Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah. Yes. That is a great question. Great question. Doesn't it, this is our question, in the Bible, doesn't it say that your body is a temple of God? Yes, it does say that in the Bible. But again, in context, let's talk about that for a second. What does it mean that your body is a temple of God? It means that your body is a place of worship. If you're now placed in, in relationship with God, we are now the church. It is, it is a place of worship in that sort of a way. Uh, in context, I believe that is used twice in the entire New Testament. One time it's talking about sexual immorality. Um, and, uh, and, but but, but we've got to be careful here. This is how we take stuff out of context and we start building these crazy thoughts that the Bible never deals with. Like, for example, my body's a temple of God, so I should never play sports. Because if I play sports, then there's a chance that I can get injured. And i got to protect my body because it's a temple, so I'm not going to play sports because I may, if I play football, I may break my leg. My body's a temple of God. I should never, I should never get in a car because I'm putting my body at risk when I get into a car that will get in an accident. And so what happens is my body is a temple of God. I, I, can't, I can't eat anything that has cake written around it. Carrot cake, you know, what pineapple upside down cake, whatever cake, because my body's a temple. I should not take those things. Now, are there are there bounce I mean is there is there a balance to that? Yeah, there's a balance to that. 
But I think you have to be careful when, you, when people make overgeneralizing statements of, your body's a temple of God, you can't do this. Well, is that what he's really talking about there in Scripture? Because that's a big stretch to say that what he's talking about, your body being a temple of God and sexual immorality too, you can't have tattoos. Is, is just a, you're just stretching it. And so what I'm telling you is, is, that, is that a lot of those thoughts processes come through religion and church trying to be over-religious and bringing this stuff into it. You know what I mean? But it's not, that's not the context of it. What does that mean? What does that mean? Your body is to be pure and clean. The, the, idea, the idea that your body is pure and clean is, the Bible tells us God does not look at the outside of the boy, he looks at the inside, he looks at the heart. And so the, the reality is, is that when he's talking about, shh, when he's talking about pure and clean, he's talking about your body being a temple of God. That's what he's talking about, You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not talking about, it's not talking about you, know, you know, that kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Now, yes, yeah, so, so yeah, that, that's kind of, where, kind of where it goes with that. Now, what I'm not saying is, man, y'all should go out and get tattoos and all this kind of stuff. I'll be honest with you. I got two tattoos. One of them, I was 18 years old, and I just wanted to get a tattoo, I guess, being rebellious or whatever. I hate it, but, you know, it sucks for me. It's going to be on my body for the rest of my life. And, uh, and, uh, and the second one I got from a book that I read, which if I said the name of the book, all of you would be like, what? You know what I mean? Because the book was like eight years ago, and so it's irrelevant now anyway. And so I wish I had no tattoos. And tattoos are addicting. And I think if tattoo, you know, getting tattoos is an addiction, and you use that as a high, and you use that as a whatever, if you're making poor financial decisions to pay for and expensive tattoos when you can't afford it and things like that, I think those things can cause problems. But, yeah. No. I think, he, he, I think the King of Kings and the Lord of Wars is on, is on the... On the, on the cloak on his thigh when he's, when he's riding his horse and he's got the robe on and it's right there on, on the thigh of the robe. All right, one more question and then we're going to do some more. Let me have the band come up. And, uh, and uh, yes. Bible say anything about piercings? I mean, uh, I, I, let's, let's uh, no, it doesn't. In fact, if you go back and you look at the, and listen, hear me what I'm about to say. The, the woman in Song of Solomon had piercings in her face. Go and read Song of Solomon. Go back to Genesis, read through Genesis, and read through our early, early thought, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, those guys. All of their wives had piercings in their face. Now, some people say, well, that was, that was uh, a sign of, you know, maybe slavery or things like that. So they were, may have came from that sort of a background, all this kind of stuff, but... Uh, if, if anything, I would say that the Old Testament would show us that, you know, uh, it was pretty culturally common for the women during that time to have piercings in their face. And so, um, I don't really think from the Bible you can say that you can't get piercings. But, people have their opinions, people have whatever. If you, if you go home tonight, and I'm just telling you right now, if you go home tonight and you say, and your mom says you can't have piercings, you say... Derek says it's not biblical. It says it's fine if I want piercings and, and I want to get piercings or whatever. Then I'm going to punch you in the neck, all right? Because <laughs> I don't want any emails tomorrow about something I said and it's not or whatever. This is what you need to know. What you need to know is, is that you are under the authority of your parents. And if your parents in that home say you can't have a piercing, you can't have one, all right? So end the discussion. Let's end it with that.
You guys lead us out.